And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall, joined as always by my guys, Ryan Barath and Chris McCormick. We are missing one, fellas. Missing one. One Mr. Robot, one Gene Parenti. Moneybags Parenti is is what I heard before we hit record on this podcast. Gene is in Corsica. Corsica. The robot money must be pretty good if you're spending some downtime on the island of Corsica. Gene's also going to be going to Paris. Rough life. Yeah, he took the whole family. And you know he's footing the bill there. I mean, I I feel like PP at Truespec and you know, kind of doing a, a couple of other little things here in the industry. And here I am sweating my ass off in uh, lovely Scottsdale, Arizona in middle of June and driving my nice Honda. And Gene, Mr. Robot in Corsica. And then heading to Paris. Never been to Paris. So, so Gene takes his daughter to a pretty famous concert. Now he's in Corsica. That's that's pretty good. I, I think I think in, in a in another life I want to come back as Gene Parenti. A hundred percent. I would fully support that decision. RB, how you doing? I'm good. It's been a busy week. Nice to be nice not not to be on the road on, a, on an early part of the week. Usually. Um, no, last week was at the travelers, which was great. It was by the time Sunday rolled around and I thought I was there Monday and Tuesday. It felt like a month ago, which is kind of one of those, <laughs> those weird things when you're on the road. Um, but, uh, I got to visit Chicago for a couple hours on the way home, which was great. I got to drive, not drive, flew all the way over Toronto and then flew back to Toronto again. So that was interesting. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll hopefully I'll get to visit the windy city one day and actually not just spend a couple hours in the airport, but, uh, we're here. We're uh, playing a little golf and ready to rock. Nice. Did was was last week at Travelers? Was that the first time that you've experienced a launch or a major launch on tour? Yeah, uh, from like being on the ground perspective. Yeah, I've yeah. definitely covered them from like a home base perspective with like pictures coming in or, or kind of phone interviews and things like that. But to actually be there was pretty cool to actually see a lot of what was what goes into the van and. You know, I wrote some observations about that, you know, which you can find on golf.com. But the thing that I always find really funny now is even seeing pictures from years and years ago is the fact that they just have heads now. There's no clubs built up because a lot of the adapter systems from these OEMs haven't changed in the last number of years. Uh, Titleist since the launch of 910 really hasn't changed. They refined it, but they haven't made it uh, any different with the driver. Very was obviously different now. Um, but the guys just walk into the van go is this the new one grab the one with the bubble wrap on it walk out plug and play and they and they give it a go and then they are either putting it on the launch monitor or they're grabbing fairy woods and testing the same way and it's it's kind of cool because they're able to go back and forth really really quickly and test which i think is something that you know we didn't get to see before but to, to actually witness it on the ground and, and have players be like man i'm, I'm hitting this great i'm hitting it not great or i would like the sound or i don't like this i like the look because I, the other part of it too is, which I didn't realize, I always thought there was more involved in talking to the Titleist guys and even a lot of the Callaway people as well, you know, Titleist, like Wedges and Driver, was that for a lot of pros, this literally is the first time they are seeing them. Like a lot of the pros do not go to the TPI. They don't go through the prototyping stages. They're just kind of like, they give their feedback on current product. Next thing you know, the new one shows up in two years or whatever kind of thing. So that to me is like, 
really fascinating because I thought, oh, those guys would have seen it. They're not that excited. They're just like going to plug and play and they've done this before, but they truly, this is their first go of it, which is kind of fun. They're just excited as we are. We see new gear. Love it. Chris, when, when stuff comes out on tour like this very first week, I mean, nothing is at retail yet. We're not even close, but do the phones start ringing at true spec? People start asking when you're going to be getting TSR product in. Oh yeah. My, my inbox probably has 15 to 20 inquiries about TSR. <laughs> of course. People, people already want to know about it. Hey, what have you seen? Hey, what have you heard? Hey, have you tested it yet? Hey, do you have any? And there's, there's always those guys like as the, the first heads you get, let me know, let me know. I want to test it or I don't even want to hit it. How much do you want for it? And it's just like, <laughs> I, I can't, can't play that game. Can't play uh, that game. I kind of figured, you know, that's, that's one of the, one of my favorite things is launch day when people reach out to me and start asking questions, well, how much faster is it? Right. What's dip, what's different about it? Buddy, I'm learning about this driver at the same time. You are literally in real time. We are taking pictures. RB, as you mentioned, was on the grounds at Travelers. He's gathering as much intel as he can, but manufacturers aren't telling you anything. You're just going off what the players are saying. It, it's it's one of those where if you're if you've been in the industry long enough and you know what's going on, and and RB pointed out some of the the interesting things that he noticed on these clubs, you can start to piece it together a little bit, but. We're, we're in the same boat as you are. We, we have no idea what's going on. The manufacturers don't tell us. Even if you slip them a 20, they're not going to tell you. So the sleeve of golf balls. It doesn't even work if you slip them a sleeve of golf balls. They got a whole van full of them. So. Yeah, I don't care. Well, shit, if, it was, if somebody on live, you probably have to slip them a Benji, right? Maybe not even that would work. At least. <laughs> well, TSR had a successful week speaking at TSR. They had 18 drivers in play. Now that's down from 26 that switched to TSI the very first week that it was out. But I still think that it was a very successful week for Titleist because when you're going from a driver that was so wildly different with TSI in that ATI face, you know, there wasn't going to be a ton that you were going to be able to, to change. At least I thought. I've got some interesting insights from having talked to a few people, but there wasn't a ton that I thought you could change. So maybe you don't get as many guys, but you did get some interesting names. So out of those 18, one of them was Jordan Spieth. Now we know this, Jordan Spieth is notoriously slow when it comes to making the change into recent titles drivers. And he's gone back and forth. Now he didn't have a very good week and some people pointed that out and I get it. But just the simple fact that you got Jordan Spieth in the driver first week out says a lot that at least he's interested enough and he's seeing the numbers that that makes him believe that this driver is better than the previous product. So we'll see if he continues to play it. But I thought that was pretty telling that you got somebody like a Jordan Spieth in the driver. He is in a 10-degree TSR3. Um, some of the other notable names, Davis Riley who switched into an eight-degree TSR-3. He wound up leading the field in strokes gained off the tee, and he was one of two guys in the top five who gamed a TSR-3 or a TSR in uh, at the Travelers. So strong week at the top of the board, but you know I don't really care so much about who's up there at the top. I want to know what's really going on with this driver. And as I mentioned, we don't have a ton of intel. We're, we're merely guessing, but do you have some comments? So... 
from having talked to to a few people in the industry, I'm hearing that the tour pros are seeing on average about two miles an hour more speed, more ball speed with TSR. Now that's that's a lot for I, you know I had heard three four miles an hour with with the TSI. Now that had a lot to do with the face change, but sure. two miles an hour is a lot when you're going from a driver that looks very similar, at least from a, from a face perspective. So there's gotta be something going on there, but yeah, Davis Riley was one of them. He mentioned that he saw, um, about, you know, one to two mile an hour increase. There was also uh, JT Poston who said he saw a two mile an hour ball speed increase. So that's not a story that I expected to hear. I'll admit it with TSR, but we're now seeing and hearing, I'm hearing a lot. And that wasn't just from a couple of guys, from from a lot of guys on, out in the field, that two miles an hour seems to be the average right now, at least first week out. I mean, we saw such a huge jump going into TSI product. But I mean, if we go back and we look at previous generations of the Titleist product in that you know, 913, 915, 917, speed was just not there. So making that that ball speed jump into TSI was impressive, but I mean we can see now that there was still you know more room to improve. Obviously, as they make that transition into TSR, so but two miles an hour after an average gain of three in the previous generation that's that's good gains over two generations for sure. Yeah, what, RB, RB, would you attribute that to Arrow, or do you think there's they maybe tweaked the recipe on the face? Uh, I think this, it's probably a little bit of both, but I think a lot of it is most likely attributed to like what appears to be some type of like aerodynamic change to the driver, both from the the heel side orientation as well as the face shaping. So when you think of, you know, the old Nike mock speed where they had that face ridges on it. So like it was designed because as it comes down, the face is not traveling forward the whole time, right? It's not, doesn't go on that plane. It actually rotates through. There's like rate of rotation. So because of that, and it's traveling down, and it's it's accelerating. It looks like there is some smoothing there as well, as well as that impact, because you have like this little mini diffuser. What it looks like on the back of it. So, if you think about what percentages are worth to the best players in the world, just like when we talk about and I use the analogy all the time, talking about cars, is at over a hundred miles an hour in swing speed. So let's say one hundred and fifteen. One percent is still an extra mile per hour of clubhead speed. An extra mile of club head speed off the middle of the driver face at 1.5 smash, you're looking at instantly 1.5 miles an hour faster in ball speed. So that's where these percentages add up. So when people are talking about performance benefits, we are talking about one and 2%, which is adding up to these advantages down the line. And that's where once you go to get custom fit and you're looking at a new product, you know, are you maybe going to get three, four, five yards if you've already been fit in a previous product? But if you were not fit before for your old driver or something else previously, that's where someone goes in and they, they see five to 10 yards, 10 to 15 yards. You know, the old joke of like, every driver is 15 yards longer. And then, you know, I should be hitting at 350 yards by now. It, that's BS, like really plain and simple, because if you're properly fit in the first place, you're going to see these incremental improvements. And when you have the best ball strikers in the world testing your product, you're going to see that off the middle of the face because everything that's engineered into that golf club is benefiting them as best as possible. And that works its way down to the consumer. So long story short, I think it's the arrow and all those things add up means the ball is going to go further. I love that you point that out because that's the one thing that 
always just sort of gnaws at me is you get the guys that say, well, I can't wait to test out my, my TSI against TSR and, and see if it's really that much longer than, than my TSI. And my first question is the same thing that you said is, well, were you, were you fit for it? And if you were, then you shouldn't expect to see any sort of game changing numbers, it, you know, especially in a case like this. Now, when you're, when you're changing face materials, different story, but sure. Yeah, it's you know if you were going say from TS to TSI, that's you're going to see a big jump just from the previous version to the new one. But in a case like this, no, I don't. I, I don't, you know two miles an hour is you know roughly five to six yards. It's not a lot, but you consider that these are tour pros. I mean, squeezing an extra five to six yards out of a new driver if you're playing the the previous version, still pretty good. I'm really curious just for fun, because I know that at some point we are going to go out to TPI and give these things a shot. I actually just got back because a friend of mine had it. We made a little deal way back in the day. So I have my original 910 in fantastic shape. So when we go out to test, I am going to bring that driver head to compare it head to head as well as my my current driver because they always like us to do that. But I'm going to bring their original adjustable driver because I'm not sure they have any kicking around TPI at this point. And I want to see what that difference really is, because to me, that's that's the curious thing, because not every consumer is going to go out and buy a new driver every year. But, you know, if you have one every six, seven years, maybe you go in this 10 years old, even 12, like the 910. That's where I think it's going to be really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious to test that out from from our perspective as well, just to see kind of what we what we get from distance. Yeah. Chris, where, where do you when you're working with golfers coming through that are getting fit for driver. Is there a point, was it, you know, four or five years from the newest model? Is it further back? Where where do you kind of start to see those game changing distance games when you're fitting golfers into new product based on what they're currently playing? I mean, essentially for me, the narrative when having that conversation is three to four years is generally an opportunity for the OEM to develop a technology that really benefits the player. So since the majority of R&D dollars and marketing dollars goes into metalwood design and engineering metalwoods, we'll usually start to see in that three to four year break, uh, something that is either more stable or faster, or like we were just talking about more aerodynamic to the point to where you can see a gain that justifies more than that 1%, like we're talking about, potentially year to year. So I'll tell people that if you're looking at timeline for definitive improvements, three to four years with metal woods, four to five years with irons, four to five years with wedges, unless you're playing competitively and need that that extra groove life uh, or sustaining groove life, then wedges might be as often as once or twice a year. Chris, I have a question because we're talking about drivers obviously right now, but Looking back over, say, the last decade, right? We know we're talking face material for the TSI as, as our example now. But have you seen something like RBZ when that first came out? And we talked about the 13 yards and how much longer that was. Sure. Have you seen other products that fit into that category of, wow, this really is like a huge step forward? So I can think of a couple examples from like a Fairywood perspective, but a lot of people always mm-hmm. kind of default back to that original RBZ because I think that's where a lot of players really struggle is, is the fairy woods. And that's where once they do actually get fit, they're just like, holy crap, I actually hit a three wood like closer sure. to my driver than I ever expected. I mean, there's, there's a few that kind of jump out to me. Like I look at the, the 2016 TaylorMade M2. That was a, a phenomenal driver. 
coincidentally, the Callaway XR16, also another really solid driver, but the fairway woods in that, that kind of generation were also really solid. Uh, Ping, when they introduced the, the 400 series drivers, the G400s, uh, also another really just innovative design for Ping. I mean, there's a few out there in the last few years that have really just made a mark and left a mark. And I mean, even now with quote unquote modern day technologies, some of that equipment comes in from that 2015, 2016 timeframe, and it's still competitive. I mean, there's, uh, there's guys that come in that just hit those drivers so well, and they are right there within that, you know, mile an hour, two mile an hour gain, uh, with even brand new equipment for 22. Yeah, that that's, I, I want yeah, I wanted to pick your brain. Cause I know you've had a, a, like a large experience when it comes to those kind of like product examples. And I know we, we always used to joke in, in our fittings too, the way I worked out, if someone walked in with a, a set of. You no, know, not a hugely popular set of irons, but the R11s. Someone walked in yeah. with a set of those, and it was like, "Well, good luck beating those today." Especially if they had the if they didn't get them off the shelf and they got fit and they had a shaft that was probably going to work for them. A lot of times, those golfers were just leaving with a with a regrip, yeah. <laughs> maybe a lie loft check and a regrip, and you're like, "Man, this is insane!" Like they just do hold up, which is impressive. For a long time, that uh, that 08 burner, yeah, was the uh, was the same way. I mean, people would come walking in with those, and it's like not going to keep up there with ball speed. We're not going to, not going to show them anything else because it hit it high. It was stable and it was fast and trying to find anything that beat those is tough. And I mean, you can do it now just because they've started to incorporate a little more multi-material construction into irons and they figured out how to move some more weight around. But I mean, for a long time, those 08 burners, I'd see them come in the door and it's just like, damn, we're, we might get close. <laughs> Don't know if we're going to beat it. Yeah. Have you thought about new grips today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I interest you in adding more wedges or a hybrid to the set? I love that. Just there's got to be a list. I mean, you guys have already mentioned some of them, but there's, but there's got to be a list. If you were to, to poll fitters, I'm sure they could come up with a general consensus of clubs, like driver all the way down to, to irons that when you see them roll through the door, you're like, What's the point? Yeah, again, regrips. Probably Those, not going to beat this one, but we'll like years ago, rewind it back and like Sonar Tech hybrids, Sonar Tech fairway woods, the uh, exotics fairway woods. Like anybody that was a player had exotic fairway woods, and they were they were hitting these exotics, and it's just like I can't beat them. Like that fairway wood line was so good, and Adams hybrids. Like anybody that was a player had an Adams hybrid. And when hybrids first started coming on the scene, that sonar tech was like everywhere. Everybody had one. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, that was a good, I, and like the Adams fair again, the Adams, I still got some, I got a couple kicking around back here that are great. Uh, some of the like kind of more modern ones that, that still exist, but yep. uh, it's, it's amazing what came out of that little nucleus of, of engineers in, I guess, Plano, Texas there. It was, it was pretty impressive to think of, how small their R and D team was and, and how good a lot of the equipment was. Cause you know, when they disbanded and they moved to TaylorMade and other companies and Callaway, like yep. you saw these little kind of nuances trickle down the line, which I always thought was, was very clever to see, but uh, yeah, those, those were really, really good. For sure. And pound for pound, the, the group of R and D guys that you did not want to play for money on the golf course. It's so yeah. many sticks. I think, I think they're worst. I remember going and playing one time and there was, 
maybe like three or four foursomes and I was out playing with, and it was pretty much the whole R and D team. And I think the worst handicap they had, was like a three or four. They had a handful of plus handicaps guys that had played, you know, the pro circuit and even some of that played the mini tour and these guys could all play. And I was like, what the, what the hell, how are you guys so good? And they, they said, we go and play all the time. We take yeah. our product, we take our product on the golf course. And that was, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Makes but sense. I just think of R and D guys in, in the shop creating the clubs and then handing them off to somebody to go and test and then getting feedback and then making changes. These guys would take their product out on the golf course. And I think that's why Adams was so good was in the, in innovative. I mean, they had some of the product that they came out with. Some of the designs are, are still in the industry and they were, they were some of the first to bring them out. So yeah, Adams, Adams was, uh, I, I always would tell people that was the one group of R and D guys that I would never play for money because they would wax yeah. you. I know it all in your wallet. One of their guys was, uh, I think it was Blair played professionally in Japan. For Blair like Phillip, years. yeah. Yeah, played professionally in Japan for years. And I remember uh, being down there. It was the like post Adams and everything like that. And it was for a different company. And he works for them still to this day. Um, and we were out and we went out to play. And he's like, oh, my shoulder hurts. And I'm kind of this and had a, a bag, mostly like old Adams gear and some other stuff and a yes putter in the bag. And I was like, you're a stick. <laughs> like, what do you tell him? Yeah. You can't tell me you're not like. <laughs> don't tell me you're sore. Don't tell me you're sore. You're knocking down flag sticks like all over the place. So, um, yeah, I think it's always kind of a funny thing because it is, it goes to show when you have players that are, are not just designed, but like people who are like, I don't want to say real golfers. I don't think that's a fair statement, but people that are, are very definitive in what they prefer, you know, you do see that trickle down into a lot of product lines. I mean, we just had a conversation with Matt Bovie the other day, uh, Jonathan talking about some new stuff that's, that's trickling down uh, towards the open here coming up very shortly. And he said like, this is a club that I like in my bag. And I always find that that's really cool because there is a, there's amount of a level of pride as well as how much they really care about every single detail about the product. Cause they know that if they're going to put it in their bag, which Matt has said, it's already in his bag. Yep. Um, he's excited to see those clubs in other players bags as well, which is really neat. Well, Bovey's a pretty decent player too. If you've had an opportunity to play with with Matt Bovey over TaylorMade, he he, he can get he it down. He downplays it a lot. Of course he does. Of course he does. All right. Well, speaking of new gear, I want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by Global Golf, and they're all about you campaign, which consists of the you try, you trade in, and you select programs. If you've never heard of them before. The you try lets you try brand new clubs and tech for two weeks, where, when, and how you want. You love it? Keep it. If not, send it on back. The you trade in program provides the easiest way to help you get what's next for less, offering the best value for your gear where you receive credit towards a new purchase. And there is also the you select program, which links you up with a PGA professional to help you find the best gear for your game. If you want to learn more, about the All About You campaign from Global Golf, go check it out on globalgolf.com. All right, Xander Shoffley. So Xander Shoffley won last week, and I shot his bag back in, I guess it was Austin for match play, and that's actually a funny story. So I don't. people have probably seen his dad, uh, Stefan, and he's been on some commercials with Xander. Stefan is a character. And he happened to be with Xander and, and a couple other guys out there. And I was 
uh, I was shooting his gear and stuff on like stepped up behind me. Once scared the ever living crap out of me because I didn't realize he was right behind me. He said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I'm just shooting the gear. And he's like, be very gentle with it. I mean, he's like, he's like totally just like pulling my leg. And, uh, and so he just was one of those fun interactions with, uh, with Stefan, who's also out there helping Xander with his game. But one of the clubs that Xander did not have in the bag that week was a club that I covered in the latest version of golf's gear notes on golf.com. So go all the way back to the AT&T Byron Nelson. Xander Shoffley was there and his playing partner, he's played with him at the Ryder Cup, played with him in Zurich is Patrick Cantlay. So they were out on the, on the practice range and Patrick has a, a very interesting lob wedge. So he's got a Vokey lob wedge, but it is D1 swing weight. And if you don't know a lot about D like swing weight, I think we should probably do a little bit of, of just like a quick primer on what is swing weight. Do either one of you boys want to want to take it? Chris, I'll take it if you I, don't want. I Go ahead. I can add two cents if I've got All any right. other little pearls. So... Uh, for those who are listening, swing weight is the uh, the measurement of a club's uh, relative balance point from the grip end to the, the head end at, uh, based on a fulcrum of 14 inches from the, the end of the golf club. So it can be the more the higher the, the letter and the number, the more it's going to feel heavier to the player. Now, there are ways to manipulate this. This is different from total weight. To give you an idea, if you really wanted to, you could swing weight a broom doesn't mean that it's it's going to be a good golf club. It just means that it's a particular number. For most golf clubs out there, for most players in the on the PGA Tour or let's say even off the rack, steel shafts, around 100 to 125 grams, you're going to see swing weight from anywhere from D2 to D4, maybe even into D5. Some players will play heavier. Some players will play lighter. But that is kind of the general baseline for a lot of golf clubs is in that range. That does not mean that if you're using 60 gram graphite, they need to be that. They're probably going to be lighter. And if you're using something heavier, they might be heavier as well. Or you're using longer clubs or shorter clubs, it's going to be different. But that is a general guideline for a baseline number when it comes to swing weight. It was way better than me. I would have fumbled over that one a little bit. But bottom line, you see a lot of players because swing weight is directly tied to feel and your transition you don't see a lot of guys messing with the swing weight you want to try and keep swing weight consistent throughout throughout the set for the through you know the irons down into the wedges now we have talked before about you know you, you might play x1s let's say dynamic old x1s in your uh, irons but you might play s4s which is a slightly softer flex in your wedges now the the s4s might be a touch heavier than the x1s but again around the greens, sometimes a little bit more weight is, is better for field purposes. So I point all this out because Xander is D3 with every club in the bag, except for this new lob wedge that after testing Patrick Cantlay's D1 Vokey, he talks to Aaron Dill, who is Vokey's tour rep. And he's like, Hey, this, this wedge is really interesting. I, I was working with it over on the practice screen. It, I like the way that it just goes through the ground. Uh, you know, what do you think? Should I, you know, maybe go down a little bit to D2, D1 and see what happens with the lob wedge? And, and uh, AD tells Xander, 
I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna try this, you might as well just go to the extremes. And so AD builds him two Vokey wedges. Now Xander uses the K grind and the T grind to have different options depending on the course conditions. He builds him two wedges at D zero, and Xander takes him to the practice green and works with them and likes him enough that he not only takes him home but ends up using this wedge to win at Travelers. So I reached out to Vokey just to ask, look, I know you got a da- database of guys. How many do you have that use D0? Because it can't be a lot. Xander is the only guy in the Vokey database. And Vokey has the, the most number of guys out on tour playing playing their wedge. They have one guy, Xander, who is D0. One and guy. One guy. So he goes from D3 to D0, just as you're dropping from the, the sand into the lob wedge. And... I wanted to know wh- why. What what is the benefit of going that light in a lob wedge? Because I mean, Chris, you and I've talked about this before on the podcast uh, numerous times. You typically don't want to go lighter with with your clubs, especially in swing weight. I mean, that's a pretty significant jump from a sand to a lob. You know, you know, heavier is usually the way that you're going to want to go. And, and AD told me that. Xander, for him, by going lighter, he was able to create a little bit more speed, um, dial up the spin, meaning get more spin, and hit a little bit higher around the greens. Um, Now, that's something that when I hear that from from AD, speaking specifically to Xander Shoffley, one of the best players on tour, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But then I also think at the same time, I was like, if I tried to do that, it would end in disaster. I, I don't think that this is something that the average golfer who's listening to this podcast, I don't think you should be thinking right now, man, Xander's using a D zero. That's an interesting idea. I should probably do that. I I would not, I would not suggest going this route. Let's leave it to the tour pros and the guys with exceptional hands. I mean, we're on the same page right here. This is, this is going to end a disaster for anybody else with the exception of the guys with the tour card. And I always, I always default to, you don't know until you test it. Yeah, I saw RV kind of go. Eh. Yeah, I mean, I so I, I mentioned a number of times just because I, I do talk to him a lot, and he's someone who's obviously does a lot of research and development when it comes to like fitting and and performance and everything like that. Is talking to a Ping Marty Dritz from Ping. Uh, he started doing this. You'll see some players from Ping have some very light lob wedges. Now Bubba is a weird example because he's got very huge, like massive grips. So like you've got an outlier there in the first place, but. It's kind of like uh, if you take a car and lighten it up, it's going to turn faster, right? Like it's going to be able to just react quicker because you've essentially lowered the moment of inertia. And that doesn't mean the forgiveness. That means the actual your ability as your hands to move the golf club. So, you know, to Xander's point, to Aaron's point, the lighter you can make it, the faster you can swing it. Now, wedges are already heavy. So if you just make it a little shorter to do something for swing weight wise, you take a little bit of weight out of the head you immediately give yourself this opportunity to create more speed at the bottom of your swing and the transition. So like when you, when the club transitions from the backswing to the, to the forward swing, it's lighter. So you can create that transition faster. And because the head's lighter, in some cases you can, it's not going to create as much momentum into the golf ball because it's a lighter thing, right? Would you rather get hit by a bowling ball traveling 10 miles an hour or a ping pong ball traveling hundred miles an hour? I'll take the ping pong ball, please. Uh, so with that in mind, him coming through really quickly, uh, the ball's not going to 
have quite as much energy, but it's going to just don't, it's still going to create all the friction and all that stuff. So, um, you know, out of say, say it's really fluffy sand, you can create more speed. It's going to create more pop out of that sand or through the rough, it's going to create a little bit more speed, but you're also not going to get as much energy going forward. So the ball is going to want to get up a little higher as well. I always, I, I kind of, when he explained it to me, I thought this is kind of odd. So then what I did was I just, I cut down one of my wedges to, so I actually play my, my lob wedge, like almost three quarters of an inch shorter than my sand wedge, just to make it feel lighter. And that was a couple of years ago and I haven't gone back. So, I mean, I'm no Xander, definitely Xander's, not. I, I, I say Xander's not the only one then. Uh, I, I'm no, I'm not in his level, but I, you know, I do, I do try it. And, uh, I think for most, I don't think it's necessary for, if you struggle with getting kind of like a little quick with your chips, not a good idea. Uh, but if you're, if you're, you know, someone who's looking to, <laughs> I see the hand go up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you, if you are a little quick, maybe it's better to go heavier again. Uh, because I think, I think in Voki's case, a D five is kind of their standard off the rack swing weight. Um, but no, Hey, it's, it's worth a shot. You know, it's, you don't know until you try it, but if you're, there are certain player types that immediately you're going to say it's, it's probably not a good idea. So for RB, it works for, for Chris and myself, that just increases the amount of speed that when the leading edge impacts the golf ball, it increases the speed on those bladed shots around the green. I've got that shot. Oh, I've got I, that shot too. I've yeah. got that shot. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Sahith Tagala had it at uh, the Travelers as well out of that that bunker on 18, which is disappointing nonetheless. Um I don't know. Do you think he should have laid up off the tee? He ripped that driver down there, but I've been to that. I've been to that tournament plenty of times. That tee shot is, is a more intimidating than, than I think some people watching it on television think that it is. I, I walked it uh, when I was there. I only, I didn't walk the whole course, um, but I did walk kind of the first and around and did a little bit of a loop and walked up 18. Um, it was the Monday during like the Monday pro-am and not only did I almost get killed by one of the ams while standing like 200 yards off the tee, but I watched the guy hit driver wedge and then an eight iron out of the bunker. So this is like a, you know, your average mid to higher handicap golfer. And these guys are hitting driver wedges down this hole. So the, the TV does not, the TV and the golf course do not do justice oftentimes to how good and how far these players hit it in real life which I think is insane because even, even good players were hitting like good players in the like better players in the pro. And let's put it that way, you know, better recreational golfers were still hitting mid to longer irons. And you had Xander flipping a, a, a gap wedge, which <laughs> is nuts. Yeah. It's if you find the fairway on that hole, you can, it's green light all the way. If, especially if you're hitting driver, it's, it is a flip wedge for a lot of those guys, but um, anyway, well, maybe I won't just completely write off trying a lighter lob wedge. Although I haven't had a lob wedge in the bag for a little while. And that ties into Arby's latest story, which I just feel like we're so aligned on a lot of these things. No three wood, no lob wedge. This actually, this, you know, I've talked to Roger Cleveland and Bob Vokey about this and both of them, especially when it comes to mid and high handicappers, they've said there's no reason they should be using a lob wedge, but you provided some interesting insights on why you should probably take out that lob wedge if you have one in the bag. I can, yeah. So, um, this is a, an audio medium, so it's maybe a little bit harder, but the best way to think about it is 
no well, stories on golf.com yeah you, stories on golf.com you can check it out and i used um i i tried to use this before and like kind of using a wedge as the example but you know, I, I always try and create some type of parallel to either another sport or something where, you know, there's an, an analogy in there where people who might not be golfers or understand, but golfers are going to immediately understand the premise. And essentially, if you think of a tennis racket and you hold it out at 90 degrees and you have the face pointed towards, say, the tent, the net, right? You're looking at the, the racket and you're seeing the entire face of that racket. That entire racket's facing you. That's like a club with no loft. And as you continue to tilt that racket back, when you're looking at it from the front, that top to bottom visually from where you're looking at continues to shrink and continues to shrink. Now the face is technically the exact same size, but as you continue to open it up, then there is less surface area as the club is traveling in. And that's where you introduce the front leading edge of the golf club into the ball, which is not good unless you are trying to hit a lob wedge 160 yards or you're maybe putting around the green, which is always I like, I got that shot a clever little trick around the fringe or you go too low and either you get underneath it like Rory did at the U S open because you're fluctuating your vertical impact area, or you hit it so high off the toe that you transfer basically no energy and the ball goes about two feet in the rough. And then, you know, you're pooched. So what I always say is being able to understand how to control that amount of loft is very difficult. Unless you practice a lot. And that's why you see these players using these very high loft wedges but I think in most cases for most players, because unless you are just going for the, the, the Phil Mickelson hero flop shot that you might get one out of 20 times, 5% of the time, it's okay to hit a, a 56 or a 55 or a 54 and just advance it onto the green or a 50 or put yourself into a position where you are creating less dynamic loft. So you're exposing more of that face again, although you're, you still are using maybe a higher lofted wedge um, because I just, it's, it's not a club that you're going to need that often because, you know, most recreational golfers are not short siding themselves in three inches of rough on a green that's stimping at 12. So I think in that case, you can default to something a little better, like uh, a little different. And you know, you're in Arizona, Chris, like, is it, is it a club that a lot of players need off out of the turf conditions when it's really dry? Or even if the sand, I think I would see a lot of Arizona courses, the sand seems a little fluffy. It's almost like if you get underneath the ball in a bunker, it's going nowhere. Oh, the sand is only fluffy, only at, the, fluffy? Uh, at the nice private clubs. Oh, okay. And contrary to popular belief in the middle of the desert, the majority of the sand out here is tabletop hard, uh, especially in the summer when it gets really baked out. Uh, the lie and turf conditions around the greens, uh, again, contrary to popular belief, in the summertime can often get really tight but also really wet because the golf courses will absolutely saturate uh, the greens and areas around the greens in an effort to preserve the grass through the summer. Uh, so there are several interesting set compositions out here. I'll say uh, anywhere between the, the 58 degree lofted wedge all the way up to the 64 degree lofted wedge and bounces everywhere in between so the, the lob wedge is, is never at a loss out here. That's for sure. I always think like, it's, it's kind of like, again, I, I've, I've used it already before, but like my dad is the analogy, like the average golfer, he, he would, he went back to like just giving like a 56 degree wedge and uh -huh. kind of hitting that closed faced chip shot. Again, he's not really, there's not really a lot of bunkers you have to go to in the course we're playing around where we are. So, um, 
he, for like a guy who's a 15 handicap, he honestly chips like someone who is a single digit um, because of like, he just doesn't put him, he doesn't give himself the opportunity to screw up is basically how there I got it. Right. Um, you know, if you're driving, if it's, if it's wet weather and you're driving the speed limit and you got the right tires on, you got your wipers going, you're probably not really putting yourself in any danger. Now, if you're, if it's wet weather and you're, you're speeding and you don't have your wipers going and you don't got your lights on, and it's getting a little dark. You could probably get into an accident and you no, know, maybe think of your short game like that. If you're using a lob wedge and maybe you shouldn't be. Nope. hundred percent. There's uh there's definitely a, a missing spot in, in my bag where I should just go ahead and add a chipper and be done with it. You could add like a, one of those like specialty wedges, like uh, with the, what does Cleveland still do the smart square? We just line it up like soul. a putter smart. Yeah, so there you soul. go. Yeah. Yeah. I need a, I need a share out wedge. Need a tailor-made Bigfoot high toe. Oh yeah, just to just to help. That looks a little bit more like a traditional lob wedge. That could that could have a place in my bag, although there I still go. don't think I'd be able to hit it. I got I got lucky and found a, a Cleveland chipper, like one of the old Zip Groove ones, probably yes. ten year, ten years ago with Classic. a little yellow, little yellow medallion on the back of it. It was like forty two degrees. Yep. Um, found it in a used bin for like next to nothing, and you know, just for fun, I brought it up to the golf course and I was like, man, this thing is like cheating. And, you know, for fun, me and my buddy, because, you know, we're idiot golfers trying something silly. We're like, okay, well, how far back can we go and start hitting this thing? So about a hundred yards. The problem is the line on it was mega upright. So unless you just aim 25 yards right of the green and then took a full swing with it, uh, you might hit the green, but around the green, if it was short grass, it was firm in the summertime, you know, if, if you look, if you're willing to try a claw grip, you're willing to try, uh, a, what is it? Uh, an offset driver who cares? Try a chipper. It might just save your short game. Get yourself a chipper, get yourself a seven wood, throw some iron covers in the bag and be done with it. You're set. That's it. That's it. You're all done. 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 My next set already got it halfway done. Prepare to get into a fight when you're on the golf course. Ah, now, it's all fun and games until you start beating your buddies. And then it's like, oh, maybe I should look at the chipper and the iron covers. Yeah. Iron covers have no place. I'm sorry. <laughs> do, you, do you have a desert club out in, the, out in Arizona? Do you have like the 15th club to, to fight off rattlesnakes and, and get those clubs out of the, the real gravel? Are you implying that I don't hit fairways? Is that, is that what you're I'm, saying? Here? I'm saying just in case. <laughs> yes, you know, he's you... implying that. Oh, oh that hurts. I do not have a desert club since I am not collecting a, uh, a nice check or any payday at the end of my round. I will walk my fat ass into the desert, grab my ball off the rocks and then take my drop back out in the fairway and be done with it. Got it. Yep. I would just no want to fight off rattlesnakes. I keep seeing people post the, those, like those fake rattlesnake things that walk up and hiss or whatever. Oh yeah. I guess, oh, yeah. I don't know. I keep seeing those we've, things. I'm like, you can't trick me around here. There's no rattlesnakes. But man, I, I, that's the last thing I want to see out in Arizona. We have a, a guy in the office. Fooge. Uh, Fooge. Fooge. Yes. And he will take, yeah, he'll take Erlacher and he'll take Michael Phelps and he'll take, you know, these, these big high profile people. And I mean, even tour players and they'll go up to Whisper Rock and play golf and he gets them with this damn snake. And, <laughs> has the videos and throws the videos up on social media. You've probably seen a half a dozen or more of his videos from people's reactions. It's hysterical, especially people that don't live in Arizona. 
Oh yeah, who was it from? Uh, who came over from Japan? Oh man, one of the one of the guys from. I, was, I think maybe it was from Kigos. And there's a video that Fuge had where where he just like scared the living daylights out of this guy, and it looked like he was gonna have a heart attack. It was it was quite amusing because it wasn't me who was having the heart attack. But exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Watching the yeah. video is hysterical. Being on the yeah. receiving end of it, your heart wants to explode out of your chest. And then you want to chase Fuge down, teach him a yeah. lesson. And he's that's the funny thing about it is he is the nicest guy like he is ever. Such a nice guy. You can't help but like him. And, and that's then he what, gets you with this snake. and mm. That's why you don't see it coming. He's yeah, so nice. You, you never see it coming. Never see yeah. it coming. Now, yeah. what, what happens if you're out there in the desert and it's like the boy who cried wolf and all of a sudden it's a real one and you get snapped at? <laughs> That'd be my <laughs> biggest fear. I'm like one day it's going to be a real one. I'm like, oh, good one. You didn't. You got me. And then you look down and it takes a chunk out of your leg. And then you you hope the life flight helicopter is not uh, not busy. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. So you got that going for you. That's true. All right. So from lob wedges to grip cleaner, this is one where if I didn't work for golf.com, I would have still clicked on it. You know, we're, we're all, we're all trying to give you gear hacks, things that are going to make your gear better, but also keep your gear that you have in better shape. RB, you you drop you dropped one that's gonna win a GWA award this year on yeah. ways to make your grips feel like new in a couple of minutes. I don't even think that I've ever tried this one, which now makes me feel like a terrible golfer. Never? What's, You've never tried I, it. I've never tried this before. Yeah, I've always um, I've always gone the route of just a little bit of warm soapy water and you know, fresh towel and Wipe the grips down, get them dry, slap, slap them back in the bag. I've never done this one before. Yeah, this, this, uh, it's going to sound like it's, uh, straight out of like my big fat Greek wedding. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that aged me. I, I don't, I don't think I've actually ever seen the movie. I just like know the reference because like I, I have friends. I, I I've seen the movie. I, I know the reference. Have you? I've never seen it. So I just know that it was like a, an ongoing gag, but, um, Windex. You know, you can, you can clean, you can actually, if you, I still recommend going through the process of like hot water, soap, giving them a little scrub and then wiping them down with a towel. But while they're still, you know, say warm or like a little bit wet before you give them the full wipe down, hit them with some Windex and then give them a nice little scrub. I've always found that it just adds a little bit of tack. Now, I'm pretty sure I made a, a, a point of this in the piece that I wrote is that it only use rubber, only do this on rubber grips. Don't do this on like a two-piece grip, like a leather, or don't do this on something like a, a wing grip or a super stroke grip. It's, it's entirely designed just to be used on rubber. And that's where you can just clean it up and it gives you that little extra tack. Um, now, again, the whole idea of, of a rubber grip is it's going to absorb sweat and dirt and oil and sunscreen and all this other junk that might end up on it. But if you're in a pinch and you're like, I don't want to go through the process of like hot water and scrubbing, they need a little bit of like cleanup, Windex, ch -ch -ch, wipe down and you're, you're going to, they'll be better than they were before. Let's put it that way. Um, if you, I've seen people do like Windex with like one third of like, say a little bit of like, say 75% rubbing alcohol. Cause that helps me with some dirt as well. Um, I've seen that used to actually clean like rubbing alcohol used to clean the, like the two piece scripts. Then you got to be careful with it all the time. You can't you only use a certain amount. 
but uh, yeah, win next. And uh, you'll get those grips a little tackier than they were before, which is always a fun little trick. I had an instructor that I used to work with and he taught at the same academy that I was at and he would put the spray on sunscreen on his grips and let it dry. And it was, I'd never seen anybody do that before, but he would use the, the spray sunscreen and then let it dry. And it was like glue. I mean, it was just the tackiest thing I've ever experienced other than like the, you know, the master grips. Yeah. Probably smelled pretty good too. Sunscreen. It was crazy. I, I watched him one day and he goes, Oh, you've never seen that done. I'm going, no, I get sunscreen on my hands and it's slipping. And he goes, Oh no, it's, it's, it's gotta be the spray sunscreen. And he's over here just coating his grips and then just lets them sit in the sun and dry. And about three or four minutes later, he picks them up. And I mean, they were super tacky. Couldn't believe it. That's crazy. Never even thought yeah. of that. Is that legal? Uh, got me. I, I don't know. I think so. I can't. I. I don't think it's like it's anything that was like it's not nefarious in any way. I mean, you're just you're just enhancing it. The uh, like. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily put chapstick on the face of your driver. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's the exact opposite. But that's that's a good way to add some tack. Or I guess I've seen people put. There's like stuff you can put on like your your leather glove. But I mean. I'll, a, yeah. a high quality leather glove is not going to have an issue with grip anyways, but that's clever. I never thought of that. I, and he didn't wear a glove. So, I mean, out here in the middle of Arizona and no glove and just spraying sunblock on his grips and then lets it dry and then goes and I mean, picks them up and just super, super tacky. I know Poulter used to talk about like using like talcum powder sometimes. He'd like put it on his hands just to like get them dry. But I, I can't imagine like over the course of a, around a golf you have to keep obviously applying it but i mean i guess the goal is always just to you know not have any issue at all i mean you could be uh what's his name oh two gloves <laughs> that's it two gloves. two gloves yeah just do that or uh, two rain gloves right if your hands are really sweaty that'll that'll help keep it uh keep it dry bill's, bill's done that before too I, it's actually I, it's actually a really good way to to gain a little bit of grip I just, I don't even like rain gloves at all. I just rather use cord and mm-hmm. try and keep them dry. I just I don't like I've never I've never liked them. I don't like. I still rain have a, I have a pair that I bought in high school one time because I just don't use them. Maybe yep. I just need to. Pl- I don't play in rain either. I was to say we're just don't play in rain. And you don't have to worry about wearing rain. Yeah, gloves. it's a trick. Exactly. All right. Well, speaking of rain gloves, RB, this podcast is sponsored by uh, a company that deals in performance grips. What do we got? Yes, we've got uh, the the CPX Grip Golf Pride. It's uh, it's their softest performance grip yet, and it's made with an EXO diamond quilted pattern to help reduce uh, vibrations. Now, the best way to think about how this works is that you know when you were a kid, you had your BMX bike and you had that like cross section on it, which you know highs and lows creates a, a softer pattern. That along with the new material creates something that's going to offer more cushion than any rubber grip that they've ever created. And what that allows you to do is, is practice longer. It's going to help, can help prevent injury if, if you're trying to reduce vibration. And, you know, if you get to practice a little bit longer, that means hopefully your game's going to get a little better as well. Now, um, if you are interested in trying these out, you can head to golfpride.com to find your local retailer to give these a shot. And that way you can, you know, give them to yourself, grip them for yourself. Cause I think that's always one of the coolest ways to get a grip. And if you are curious, you know, just, just try them on one club, try it on your driver, try it on your lob wedge, maybe, 
uh, try one club out and uh, to see what kind of performance you're going to get out of that. Because I think uh, for those looking for a tackier grip or looking for something that's going to be softer, but you don't want to go to a multi-piece grip, something that's going to have a little bit more life in it as well. The CPX is a great option and you can find out more at Golf Pride. Is it, oh, sorry, is it Golf Pride Grips? Oh, see, golfpride.com. There we go. Sorry about that. Jeez. Can't even get the URL. Almost had it. I almost had almost. it. Almost. <laughs> trying to Go read the legal trying to read the legalese <laughs> on the end of a, a drug commercial. <laughs> All this right, grip will well. not cause any side effects. I absolutely promise you. The only side effect might be your hands will not hurt as much. There we go. It's a good way to it's a good way to end that one. All right. Well, before we wrap this week's podcast, a couple of things I did want to point out. Um, Callaway had the Jaws Raw. Last week that debuted on tour as well with the uh, titles TSR. They had 18 in play. We also saw Ping announce three new signings. There was Texas standout Cole Hammer. Cole Hammer's been wearing a Ping hat for who knew who the heck knows how long. I mean, ever since we he first burst onto the scene. What was that? Was that at Chambers? Was he Chambers Bay? I think was like the first official like Cole Hammer sighting. Anyway, so Cole is now a pro. So he signs with Ping. Um, Ping also signed Oklahoma's Logan McAllister and Washington's RJ Mankey to deals as well. So those are a couple more recent tour signings. Something else I did want to point out, I have been talking about it on recent episodes, but... I did have a chance to go to Ping headquarters and go through the PLD fitting process for the new PLD putters. As we've talked about on the pod before, there are two ways you can get fit for one of the new PLDs. You can go to Ping headquarters, which I think is really cool because you get to go and work in the studio, the same studio where all the pros that roll through work on their putter. Or you can get one done online if you don't want to take the time to go to Ping. But I did have a chance to go there. And that video is live on golf.com if you want to check out the whole process. It's pretty extensive. And it, I ended up with a pretty awesome putter that I've actually been rolling pretty nicely. Let's say I may have found a putter. So anyway, go check those out on golf.com if you want to learn more about the PLD process. All right, boys. I think that will do it. For another episode of Fully Equipped, as always, if you want more gear news, you can check us out on social media. We are at Fully underscore Equipped on Twitter and at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. We'll get Gene back next week. He'll be live from Paris. We'll grill him. Maybe we'll have a speaker for Ryan. <laughs> Can't help laughing about that. Oh, man. Just really give Gene, just get him, just get him down in the dumps when he's in Paris. But he will be back. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week.